Amen, Lord. We're so glad that we saw the light. Lord, we're so glad that we saw the light, and we know that it's you that illuminated our our flesh to see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're so thankful to you, Lord. As we said earlier in prayer, we were lost and you found us, dead and you gave us life, headed for darkness and you had and you redirected us to the kingdom of light. We're so thankful to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we repent of our sins. We turn around and go in the other direction than where we were headed before. Lord, we confess our sins to you. We're sinful people. Your word's very clear in Isaiah 64, verse 6, that our righteousness is like filthy rags before you. The only righteousness that you would accept is the precious blood of Jesus Christ our Lord, who was so righteous, death couldn't hold him down. Because he was so righteous, death had no dominion over him. And because he was so righteous and never sinned, he rose from the grave three days later. And here we are, 2,000 years later, still serving the risen Christ because he's alive and well. Every one of us had that transition in our life when we came to recognize that Jesus is the Lord and there is no other. Buddha's dead and gone. Muhammad's dead and gone. All these other ones that claim to be Christ are dead and gone. But Jesus is alive and well. Even the early, early, uh, what can I say, critics, even said that Jesus rose from the dead like Josephus. Lord God, we know that you're alive because you came into our life and we were dead and now we're alive because you're alive. Someone once said, I know he's alive because I, I prayed with him and talked with him this morning. And that is so true. Lord, we praise your holy name. Father, let us hear what your Holy Spirit has to say to the churches today as we study in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Let us hear what your Holy Spirit says, and to you be the glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, everyone, and for everyone online, we're glad you're there. I hope you have your Bible out. This is a Bible-preaching church. We use the Bible. I just don't get up here and tell you one scripture verse and talk for some for 40 minutes about that verse. You know, sometimes we do topical studies, but, you know, um, I'm more of a teacher, so you're going to get blasted with scripture tonight um, today and uh, you're gonna you're gonna love it if you if you love the Lord you're gonna see he's he's actually going to tell us we're gonna be looking at the seven churches of Revelation we did two of them last week by what Jesus told these churches uh, in their negative points actually Jesus is telling us the positive points now, of a good church, the positive points, by pointing out what each of these churches needed to do in their churches to make them more Christian-like. So we're going to see by the negative points that Jesus pulls out, we're going to see the positive points for the church today. Anyway, for those online, you're listening to Freedom Church in the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. I know some of you just tuned in now, and we thank you for that. Stay tuned. You can go to our website, freedomchurchpb.org, freedomchurchpb.org, and you can check out what I believe, what we believe in. You can find out our address. You can find out, uh, watch past services. You can see our list of ministries, and you can even donate online should the Holy Spirit lead you. And if this is your church, then, you know, your tithe goes to your church. If you're listening uh, to us and go to some other church, your tithe goes there. And if you want to give a special gift and offering, let, believe me, we, will, we would treasure it. Uh, right now, we have a missionary in Brazil. He's been down here for six months teaching English to Portuguese-speaking missionaries so that they can go around the world. He told me one of them is going to, to uh, England and the other one's going to uh, Asia, one of, them, one of them. So the two of them I know of are going to different parts of the world. And he's had two classes, speaking English 101 and English 201 to the, the, the uh, students down there. So he'll be back on May 7th, or not my July 7th, I'm sorry. Keep him in prayer as he travels. But we've been supporting him the whole time. You know, he got some support from family and friends, but most of his support came from Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. And for a little church like this, it was an honor to be able to, that God would even choose us to send him out 
and and meet his you know financial needs that he that he has. I think his next last class is tomorrow or Saturday, and uh, he's flying out on the seventh because that's the only flight he could get, <laughs> the earliest flight out of Brazil. So anyway, keep Matt in prayer. Matt Feldner is his name. You know, if you've been here a while, you know Matt. Anyway, for those online, we're here every Saturday, uh, Sunday at 10 a.m. Every Sunday at 10 a.m. So this Sunday, tune in. I mentioned earlier, Pastor Brett is going to speak. You know, he's a, he was a missionary to, to Brazil, started several churches and worked with YWAM a lot. He's also really been in Nicaragua, Nigeria. He's been in Zambia or something like that. Zamb Zimbabwe? Huh? Zimbabwe? No, that's not it. Zambia. Zamb no, it wasn't Zambia either. Anyway, <laughs> Tanzania. Tanzania. And he's going all over. He's headed back to Brazil later end of the year to check out of the one church that he started. They're having a conference. And, of course, he'll be the main speaker because he started that church in Brazil. You know, um, so anyway, Brett will be going. We have two missionaries in this church. Of course, Brett and his wife and two children. You know, um, I can't express it enough how honored I am as a pastor of a little church like this and how honored I am that you, this church, has supported this church enough to give to his ministry so that we can take the gospel not only to West Palm Beach or Lantana or Boynton Beach, Florida. We're taking it to the world, this little church. We're taking it to Brazil. You know, we got, and, and those students that Matt taught are headed out to different parts of the world, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a thank you, Lord. We're honored. We bless your name. Anyway, so if you support this church, you're supporting missionaries, and, and the Bible says that the sower and the reaper are the same, and you will be rewarded according to your work. So if you give or you go, God's going to bless you according to your work. So praise God. Anyway, I'm, I'm honored, and thank you. Anyway, um, Sunday morning, 10 a.m., tune in. Pastor Brett will be speaking. And uh, for those of you who are local, we're at 2810 High Paluxo Road, Lantana, Florida, just a quarter mile west of I-95 on the north side of the road. And every Saturday morning, you know, we have a men's Bible study that meets right here at this church. So come on by, um, 9 o'clock. We, we try to end by quarter after 10 or 10.30, but believe me, the guys like to hang around and, and praise the Lord or just talk with one another. And, of course, it's all biblical talk. So we thank, thank the Lord for that, men and men that are hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's different churches represented here. All those people do not just come to this church. They go to other churches, and we're one with them because this is the church of Christ. You know, we're, not, we're preaching Christ, him dead, him buried, him risen, him crucified according to the Scripture, him risen according to the Scripture, which is actually... You turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and read about the first, uh, the three, verse 3 to 7 or 8, and you're going to find out that is the gospel in a nutshell. Paul tells the church there, he tells them, he says, I have a message of first importance, and that's our message as Freedom Church. Our message of first importance is that Christ came, he died, he was buried, and he is risen according to the scriptures. And every church that believes that is called a Christian church because we believe that Christ is risen. And we know he's risen, so thank you, Lord. So um, that's about it. Oh, yeah, if you go to our website, freedomchurchpb.org, I don't know if I said it, you can read our beliefs, you can fill, find our address, you can see our list of ministries, you can watch past services. For, for We've been at this place for eight years, so... You know, you can go back that far, and you can even give online. So we thank you for that. So if you give to Freedom Church, know that we support missionaries, and um, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, don't forget, I'm with you always. So praise the Lord. So uh, that's about it. Turn your, turn your uh, Bibles to... Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2.
I'm going to review the first two real quick that we went over last week. Remember, Jesus has given us negative points to these churches. So if you want to be a church of God and operate the way Jesus wants the church to operate, he's going to tell them, you know, uh, they're negative so that we can apply that and make positive points out of it. Okay? What we learn from the church of Ephesus, we read that in uh, chapter 2. We find out, and I'm not going to read those scriptures because we got five more churches to go to, but I'm going to tell them. He tells them that, that uh, he agree. he tells them he's thankful that, that they do not tolerate evil men. So a church, a true church of Christ, will not tolerate evil. They will, whether they be man or woman, the church of Christ will not tolerate evil. That means we don't bring evil into the church. We bring evil people into the church who repent and, and become believers. You know, um, he's saying that at church, he says, he, you know, he, he's given them uh, a positive point is that they test the spirits. You know, a lot of evil spirits and there's a lot of good spirits in the world. You know, angels are ministering spirits. And there's evil spirits also. And he says to them, you know, to test the spirit. So if you hear, uh, if, if, a, if a spirit says something to you, you got to test it. And how do you test an evil spirit? Does it line up with this, the Word of God? Not just part of the way, but all the way. Because the devil will mix a little bit of truth. That's how he deceived Eve. He mixed a little bit of truth in with a lie, or a little bit of lie in with the truth even, however you want to say it. A church that God loves, you know, um, will not tolerate evil men. It will test the spirits and make sure they're from God. It will be a church that repents. Five of these seven churches, Jesus told them to repent. I mentioned not too long ago somebody that, that I know said to me several times in the last year that he's been in his church 10 years and he never heard a message on repentance. That is a disgrace because we are evil and we need to repent. Peter got up and he preached. He said, repent and be baptized. John the Baptist said, repent and be baptized for, for forgiveness. Jesus came on the scene. He said, repent. Listen, we a church of God is a church that is repentant. If you sin, you come to the altar, you pray. If you sin and you're not at church, you get down on your knees or you're driving down the road, repent of your sin. And repent means turn around and go back in the other direction. You want to know, if you see the world going this way, turn around and go that way. Because the world seems to be exactly the opposite of what God tells us to do. A, a church, a good church, is a church that, according to Jesus in this, is a church that hates deceivers and blasphemers and liars. Deceivers, blasphemers, and liars. So, from the Ephesian church, a good church does not give up. It stands, it stands firm. Therefore, beloved brethren, I think of the Corinthian church, or Paul told them, therefore, beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, and knowing your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So a good church does not give up. It keeps on fighting. You never lay down the sword of the Spirit. You never take off the breastplate of righteousness. You never take off the belt of truth. You never take off the shoes or the sandals of the gospel of peace. You never take off the helmet of salvation. And you always keep up your shield of faith when say it is written. And then you use the word of God to take down those forces of darkness, those deceiving, lying spirits with the word of God. That's what Jesus did in the, in the wilderness when the devil tempted him. He lifted up his shield. He said, it is written. Here's where it's written. And he took the sword. The word, he'll take one of the, one, the uh, 31,102 verses of the Bible. And he took all of his verses from the book of Deuteronomy. 
And he said, man does not live by flesh alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And this is the mouth of God, the word of God, Jesus. So, you know, it, it does not tolerate evil men and it doesn't give up. It tests evil spirit. It's a repentant church and it's a church that hates, hates deceivers, blasphemers, and liars. And you know what? People say, well, God don't hate. God's a God of love. Yes, he's a God of love. He's also a God that hates. Read Proverbs. He says, and Matt brought it, Brad brought it up Sunday. He says, God says in Proverbs, I believe it's chapter 6 or 26. I don't, get, don't take me on that. But it says, there are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. And a lying tongue was one of them. So you got to know that's a good church. Okay, and then we go to the church of Smyrna. He tells them that, that they're spiritually poor. So here, Jesus is telling us that a good church is spiritually strong. That means you don't run around quoting what the New York Times says or the Boynton Beach Post or whatever. You run around telling people what the Word of God says. You run around and tell them that. You're spiritually rich. The Word of God makes you rich because they that walk in the Spirit are, you know, uh, will not do the deeds of the flesh. So God wants us to be spiritually rich. It also tells them that they need to endure tribulation. There's going to be tribulation come upon the church of Smyrna. And Jesus is telling them, a good church endures tribulation. In other words, you don't quit. You don't lay down your sword, and you don't walk out the door. You stand fast and be steadfast. You endure tribulation. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, he says, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So when you say, somebody tells you all things are good in Christ, that, that isn't what the Bible says. The Bible says in the world you'll have tribulation. You're going to have tribulation. There's going to be people that don't like what you preach. There's going to be trouble in the family. There could be uh, all kinds of different things can happen. There's going to be tribulation. Tribulation will take your happiness away for a little bit, but joy is in your heart. Be, you know, be, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. That means even in your tribulations, you can have joy. Laughter is for a moment. Joy is forever. And we see also, he said, it's a tested church. A good church is a church that has been tested. It was tested and it passed the test. Here's what James says in 1.3. He says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The testing of your faith produces endurance. I always say this. Faith that isn't tested can't be trusted. Faith that isn't tested can't be trusted. If you say you have faith, but, you, but you've never been tested, how do you know you're going to respond the right way? So therefore, you will have tribulation, and your faith will be tested and you have to, you know, pass that test. And if you pass the tests that come your way, then you will be producing, it will produce endurance in you. Also, the church of Smyrna was told, you know, they were fearful. They lacked courage. And Jesus is telling them, a good church, you know, is fearless. And they, they, they are very courageous. A good church is fearless and courageous. You know what I see today? And you aren't going to like what I'm saying. I see the church run and hide over COVID that went around America and around the world. We're more afraid. You know what? I saw a t-shirt of a girl that works at the VA up here in West Palm Beach. And her shirt said, and I was wondering how she got away with it. It said, it said faith over fear. Simple wording. This is what Jesus is telling you. Faith over your fear. Fear is false evidence that, that appears to be real. That's what fear is. False evidence, an acrostic, false evidence that appears to be real. 
Listen, James says, Have I not commanded you, or Joshua, God tells Joshua in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you to be strong and very courageous? A Christian is strong and courageous. You know what? Just because COVID's out there don't mean you, you, don't, you, you don't have to wear a mask. Wear a mask if you feel so. But don't let fear overcome your faith. Faith overcomes fear. That's just the way it is. That's what Jesus is telling the church here in Smyrna. So a good church from Smyrna is one that is spiritually rich. That means the people don't run around quoting, you know, uh, Alexander Graham Bell or, or, or President Lincoln. They're running around quoting the Word of God, spiritually rich. They endure tribulation. They are tested, and they pass the test, and they are fearless and courageous. Actually, Proverbs tells us that the sluggard stays at home because he sees a lion in the road. I'm going to tell you right now, people, if you do see a lion in the road or a tiger or a bear, know that that tiger or bear or lion is chained back and he can't touch you as long as you walk in the Spirit. What do we learn from the church of Pergamum? Let me, let me read it to you. We're going to read these verses. And to the angel of the church of Pergamum, write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name, and do not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold the teachings of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. Thus you shall have some who in the same way holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To him who overcomes, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no man knows but he who receives it. So Jesus points out negatives on the church of Pergamum. He's telling them that, you, you know, in this time of tribulation, you need to hold fast the name of Jesus. You know, churches today, a lot of them, I, I listen to a lot of people in the churches, and I listen to even the pastors, and they very seldom mention the name of Jesus. You come to this church, or you listen to us online, you're going to hear the name of Jesus, and you're going to hear repent constantly. You're going to hear the name of Jesus, because there's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. There's no other name. You have to hold fast in the name of Jesus. That's what the Word of God says. You hold fast to His name. Listen, God is a relative term. Hey, that chair you're sitting in could be your God. Money could be your God. Coffee in the morning could be your God. Once you know God, God is identified, the true, the one, and the only God is identified through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is, Hebrews 1.3, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's power, and He upholds all things. Listen, you want to know God? You have to know Him through Jesus. Jesus said, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Oh, no man comes to the Father except by me. That's John chapter 14, verse 6. He goes on later. Philip says to Jesus in that same chapter, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus is, is confounded over this. Philip, have I been with you so long you don't recognize me? Jesus is the radiance of God the Father. Listen. God's a relative term. 
Jesus identifies the true, the one, and the only God, the one who sent his Son, our only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish and have eternal life. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, which is the name of God, I am, that's what Moses, Exodus chapter 15, Moses said to the burning bush that wouldn't burn up, he said, who should I say sent me? And he said, you tell him I am has sent you to Pharaoh. That's the name of God. Jesus said, unless you believe I am the name of God, you will die in your sins. So that God that isn't identified in Jesus Christ in your life is not the true God. Jesus is the true God because he re Jesus reveals the Father. So any predator that tells you that, they are absolutely wrong. It doesn't line up with Scripture. A lot of people say, we, we have... We all serve the same God. No, we do not. The true God is identified in Jesus Christ our Lord. Muhammad didn't rise from the dead. Buddha didn't rise from the dead. Harry Krishna didn't rise from the dead. The one who told you he was the Messiah did not rise from the dead. The one who's written in this book, he's the one who rose from the dead. There are 365 scriptures pointing to one man that could have only happened in biblical times around 30 A.D., 33, 34 A.D. The only one that could fulfill all those scriptures is identified, and he's only Jesus Christ, 365. The prophecies of scripture are fulfilled in one man. Read Isaiah chapter 53. Read Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They pierced my hands and my feet. All my bones are out of joint. I'm bruised for their transgressions. Listen, Jesus Christ is the only way. So you've got to hold fast to the name of Jesus. I tell everybody, you always, somebody sneezes and you say, God bless you. You want to get their attention? Tell them if they sneeze, God bless you in Jesus' name. And then you're going to get, either the believers are going to come out of the woodwork or the ones that don't believe Jesus is the true God will start thinking you're crazy. That is, this the Bible tells you, the greatest book ever written, the one that has been printed more than any other Bible, any other book in the world, the one who's backed up by over 30,000 manuscripts of Scripture from antiquity, is in this book. Forty men, different walks of life, most of whom were not protégés of one another, wrote this book. Some were kings, some were prophets, some were farmers, some were, some were uh, just normal people. They wrote these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the blood of Christ is woven from Genesis chapter 3 all the way through Revelation. So praise the Lord. There's only one man that is, has, identifies the true God, and that is the God-man, the one who was 100% man through, the, through being the seed planted in Mary, the mother of Christ, and being the seed was from the Father because the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived without having intercourse with any man. And then that seed was of God that made Jesus 100% God 100% man. And therefore, since he was sinless, and not like us who are sinners, he could actually pay for the wrath of God against sin for all who believe, like you and me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You have to hold fast to his name, because you were crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, remember? You gave your life to Christ. It's no longer you who live, people on the other end of this internet. It's, you gave your life to Christ. It's Christ that lives in you. So we have to live a holy life. God says, be ye holy as I am holy. And why do you think the angels in heaven sing, holy, holy, holy? Because they, they, God's holiness is, outweighs everything else. His holiness. He doesn't say, Mercy, mercy, mercy three times. He doesn't say grace, grace, grace three times. No, it's the angels singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's his greatest attribute. He's holy. 
That's why we can't see him. If you see God in all of his, all of his majesty, you just burn up. You just burn up. You're, you're done. I am undone, says Isaiah in uh, chapter 6. Listen, you hold fast to Jesus' name. You hold fast to the faith of Jesus. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Let's see what the church of Smyrna said, or Tyrant, 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 the church of uh, Thyatira, church of Thyatira. What we learn by what Jesus tells them is negative in their church. Here's what he said. He, he's telling them and approving to them that the deeds of, of late are greater than the deeds of first. He, he's commending them. A church that started in the Spirit needs to remain in the Spirit and grow in the Spirit. He's saying, what he's saying here is a good church will do greater works the longer they exist. We're not talking about building $20 million sanctuaries. We're talking about souls to be saved. He's talking about here the greater works. He says it in John chapter 14, verse 12. He who believes in me and the works that I do, he shall do greater works. Listen. Most of us laid hand on blind people and we were praying that they'd see and they didn't see. Many of us laid hands on people that had sore backs and, and they, they weren't healed. The greater work is not physical. The greater work is spiritual. So what you know what the greater work is? Is winning souls to Christ Jesus. That is the greater work that Jesus is talking about here. It's not speaking in tongues more than the next guy. It's not giving more money than the other guy. It's about, it's about winning souls to Christ. That is the greatest work anyone can do on this earth, is leading lost souls to Christ. So that's the good greater works that Jesus is talking about. I think it has references to some of those other things I just mentioned, but... The greater work is winning lost souls. That's why I'm excited that God would use a little church like this to really support missionaries out there in the field. And as I mentioned earlier, Matt got other support from relatives and friends. But his main support, I would say probably over 80, 85% of Matt's support comes from Freedom Church. And I'm not bragging or anything like that. I'm just telling you that's the way the church is supposed to run. Win souls. Win souls. That's the important part. A good, a good church, Tyra I guess I should read these scripture. Eight, verse 18, chapter 2. And to the angel of the church of Tyra the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance, that you your debts of late are greater than that of first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. She teaches and leads my bond servants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Churches, you need to repent of your immorality. Behold, I will cast her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of, their, of her sin, of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence and all the churches will know that I, that, that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds." But I say this to you, the, the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, you have no, known the deep things of Satan, as they call them. I place no other burden upon you. Nevertheless, 
what you have, hold fast until I come. And he who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give the authority over all the nations. And he shall rule with them with an arm, a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken into pieces, as I also have received according authority from the Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So by Jesus pointing out the negative deeds here, he's telling them, you know, your works are greater now than when you first started. That's a good point of a church. You're doing greater works. And again, it's not about $20 million buildings. It's about winning souls to Christ. He says that they have agape love. They love one another. A good church has a loving body. They love one another. There isn't schisms going on, and there isn't this person gossiping against that person. They love one another. They hug each other. They give holy hugs and holy kisses. Not lustful hugs and not lustful kisses. Holy kisses. Holy hugs. They have faith. Faith. Hebrews 4. Paul, whoever's writing Hebrews, we think it was Paul. We're not sure. Hebrews 4.2 says, The same gospel that was preached to them was preached to us. But it didn't profit them. It didn't profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith. So a good church has faith. They actually believe if you lay hands on a blind person that you'll see. They'll see. They actually believe that if you have cancer, you're, you're, it's going you're to be healed. A good church will believe that. I've came to the point several times over my ministry here. I told them, if you don't have that faith, would you please leave? I want the people with faith here that actually believe that that person can be healed of a disease. And I know people that were healed of diseases. So, we have to have faith. It's got to be mixed with faith. And it even says in Psalm 78, verse 41 to 43, God says, again and again they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. You can limit the Holy One of Israel by not having faith. How did they, how did they fail God? They, they actually limited Him by tempting Him, by their temptation. Oh, God. They're actually tempting him. We need some meat. Send us meat. We loathe this, this bread that's on the rocks, this manna. We loathe it. We need bread. I mean, we need meat. So that God sends in a whole pile of quail. To, uh, they, they began to loathe the wet quail because they ate so much of it. They limited the Holy One of Israel by testing him. He put them in the wilderness for 40 years till the last that generation was gone, all except Joshua and Caleb who believed. And their shoes didn't even run out, wear out. And their, and their sandals didn't run out, wear out. And their shirts didn't wear out. Their clothing didn't wear out. 40 years. I don't have a, I don't have a shirt or a pair of shoes that I've had for 40 years. And they weren't even worn out. Again and again, they tempted God, and you limit the Holy One of Israel, if you don't have faith, that it will move a mountain. We're not talking about saying the Mount Everest get cast into the sea. We're talking about whatever that mountain is in your life. Cancer, disease, blindness, sickness, even a common cold or a toothache. Jesus prayed over Peter's mother-in-law because she had a fever. If your body isn't working normal, we need to have faith. He also says to them, you know, that they don't tolerate Jezebel. Well, Jezebel, you know what? The spirit of Jezebel, I don't know if you've ever done a study on the spirit of Jezebel. The spirit of Jezebel is the most disgusting, evil spirit that ever existed. And it exists in a lot of churches today. Here's what a summary of what the spirit of Jezebel does in a church or in your life. Number one, it's a very controlling spirit. 
You know what? Your pastor should not be ruling your church with an iron fist. He should be a servant leader like Jesus Christ. And he didn't rule with an iron fist. He will someday, but he walked on earth. He was humble. And every pastor needs to be humble. Instead of getting, having the church get you a cup of coffee, you are supposed to go get a coffee for them. That's the way it's supposed to be. You are the servant. They are your sheep. You feed the sheep. Now, you know what? What else is Jezebel spirit is manipulative. It's a manipulative spirit. It's a murderous spirit. Jezebel, you know, killed uh, Nabal, I believe it was, because her husband for his birthday wanted his vineyard and he wouldn't sell it to him. So Jezebel had him killed and then she took the property. It is a very murderous spirit. It's a lying spirit. It has all these evil things attached to it. And God's saying, don't have a Jezebel spirit. Do not tolerate a Jezebel spirit. It's controlling. It's manipulative. It's murderous. It's a lying spirit. It lies about everything. It's greedy. It's immoral. It's sexual. It's perverted. It's unrepentant. Jezebel, did you see it in there? She was unwilling to repent, says the Scriptures. It's an idolatrous spirit. Jezebel worshipped all kind of idols. And she instituted that to the people of Israel. And God was not happy. It is also a wicked, very wicked spirit. It, it, spirit of Jezebel promotes fear. Now, do you see some things happening? Spirit of Jezebel promotes fear. Even I, even Elisha was so fearful of Jezebel after he, after he had the prophets of uh, four hundred fifty prophets of Baal killed at Mount Carmel. Jezebel said, I'm going to remove your head by within the next 24 hours. And, and I, Elisha ran away in fear. And he stayed away. He feared that woman just because she said something. It's a very fearful spirit. If you're dominated by fear, you probably are fighting against the Jezebel spirit. And you need to rebuke it in the name of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die to defeat a little a little demon. He died to defeat the devil himself. And he did it. He did it. It's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a, it causes fear. It's a very proud spirit also. There's pride all through it. It's a spirit that is out of God's designed order. And it's very deceptive. Listen, this is the worst spirit can even come upon a church. And I've seen it in churches that I have been in over the years, over the past 45 years. I've seen this spirit operate, and I've seen it destroy churches and destroy pastors. Yeah, pastors and, and lay people. It's a very, Jesus is telling you, he's, he's a church that is in, that has good points, a good point will be it will loathe, it will hate the Jezebelian spirit. And it will not go along with it. It will rebuke it right away. This church also needs to have patience. We, a church, good church of God today needs to be patient. The Lord's born servant, Paul tells Timothy in, chapter, in 2 Timothy 2, 24, he says, the Lord's Bond's servant is not quarrelsome, but he's patient to all, able to teach, and with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. So, a good church is, you know, um, wins souls. It has agape love, not sexual or perverted love. It has faith. It has patience. It doesn't tolerate Jezebel. It will put it out on its ears. It will rebuke it in Jesus' name. And he says, hold fast to Jesus' faith in verse 25. 
hold fast to Jesus' face means remembering he's coming back. He's coming back. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to start at the 13th verse. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, about those who have fallen asleep. In other words, they're dead. Their body's dead. That you may not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. Do you see that? They're in heaven. They're not in the grave. Their body's in the grave, but they're in heaven with God. He will not precede those who have fallen asleep. These are the dead people in Christ. They're coming back with Jesus. And verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with the Lord. See, we're going to be raptured out of here, caught up. In, in Latin, when it was transferred into, when, when the Hebrew was, not Hebrew, but the, when the Greek was translated into Latin, the Latin word for being caught up is raptus. So that's where we get our word rapture. So, yes, the word rapture is in the Bible. It's in the form of another word in Latin, raptus, which means raptured, caught up. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. And those that died in Christ, their bodies will be raised, just like Jesus' body was raised after three days with no corruption. They'll be raised, and they're going to meet, their body is going to meet their spirit in the kingdom of heaven, in the heaven, and then we who are alive and remain, I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is this guy will be gone. I hope. I know, I know. I know. I'm a sinner, and that always bothers me. I I. I, gr I gravel over my sin all the time because I want to be so good, you know, righteous and holy as God, but I fail, I fail, I fail. Thank God for His mercy and His grace. Praise God. You, I was crucified with Christ 45 years ago. And it's no longer Joe who lives. It's Christ that lives in me. Just as with you if you receive Him as your Savior. Hold fast to the faith. Remember Christ's return. Do not be ignorant. You notice a lot of Christians today have no idea Jesus is coming back. It's not taught in the churches. A lot of churches don't teach it. So when you say, you're going to be out of here, they're probably thinking, like, what is he talking about? Read your Bible. Read your Bible and you will find out. Listen, people come up to me after different sermons once in a while and they challenge me. They say, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, mess with you, Pastor Joe, but I have a problem with this. Can you explain it to me? They're challenging me, and that's okay. That's good, because I could be wrong, and they could be right. And you know what? That tells me one thing. They're reading their Bible, and that's a good thing. What do we learn from the Church of Sardis? Church of Sardis. Well, I've got to get back to Revelation. This is chapter 3. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. See, a lot of churches, they look like they're alive, but they're dead. Do you realize that? They look like they're alive because they've got all these activities going on, but it's a social club. It isn't about Jesus anymore. They forgot the name of Jesus. It's about other things. And when they walk out of church, they're the same heathen they were when they were, were in church. And I'm sorry if that rubs a few feathers wrong, but, but too bad. I am the messenger of what this Word of God says. 
And I'm going to tell you what it says and not what it doesn't say that may tickle your ears. A lot of people don't know this. Okay, um, you have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. They have thousands and thousands of people, but Jesus is telling Sardis that they're dead. Wake up, he's telling them. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. Repent again. If, therefore, you will wake, not wake up, I will come to you like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and, have, and they walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase their name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before the Father and before the angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Sardis, they look like they're alive, but they're dead. They look alive because they're doing this and doing that, but are they doing things to win people over to Christ? Are they are they uh, playing uh, five-card draw? Are they playing bingo all the time? Or are they telling people about Jesus? That he came, he died, he's buried, and he is risen according to the scriptures. They look like they're alive, but they're dead. He's saying, wake up. The church needs to wake up. Not just Sardis, but the church as a whole. Some churches are awake, but some are not. There's churches that are awake, and some of the people in the church are asleep. And there's some churches that are asleep, and the people are awake. It's just wake up. Church has to wake up. We have to wake up. You're supposed to be alert. You're supposed to be always watching. You're a soldier of Christ. Soldiers are always watching their back. Soldiers are always in the guard tower, guarding their heart, guarding their friends, guarding their family in prayer. Sardis looked like they were alive, but they were dead. It had the ability to strengthen itself. It had the ability to strengthen itself, but there were only a few that wore white garments. See, that's called a remnant. There's a remnant in this church that is true to Christ, but a lot of them are not because, for the most part, this church identifies with God as being dead and not alive. To the world, it looks alive, but it's really dead is what Jesus is saying. So a good church, Jesus is telling you, is alive and well. It is, it is uh, a church that is always watching, and it's always alert. It's not sleeping. When you're asleep, when you are asleep, you can't see, you can't hear, you can't smell like as, as if you were awake. You might, you might be able to smell, you might be able to hear, but not as loud and clear as if you were awake, right? The church is supposed to wake up. It has the ability to strengthen itself, Jesus says. And how do you strengthen yourself? It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the Holy Spirit, says the Lord. It's by the Spirit of God. You can check that out in the Scriptures, Zechariah 4, 5, or 4, 6. Listen, it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. And it remembers and it applies. What they hear from the scriptures, they apply it to their life. James 1, 23 through 25. Turn there. James 23 through 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately forgot what kind of person he was. He sees himself in a mirror, but he, 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 when he walks away, he has no idea what kind of person he was. Verse 25, but one who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides in it, shall, um, it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effective doer, 
This man shall be blessed in what he does. See, we're not to just hear a sermon on Sunday or Thursday night or Wednesday night or whatever night. We are to hear it and apply it to our life. Application is very important. I heard a pastor say that today. I think it was Tony Evans. He said today, you ought to apply it. When I was in the Bible college, I had a hard time with application. I failed several, at least two papers, you know, because I didn't have a good application. And I had to go to the teacher and say, would you explain to me what application is? Well, it's, you know, and they did, and then I start passing my papers. Because I'm, I'm here to tell you what I'm telling you tonight. Not so it goes in this ear and out that ear, but it goes in this ear, and it goes to your heart, and you apply it in your life. Instruction minus application equals frustration, which you're already in. Instruction plus the application, will your, will your life will be better. The frustration will be gone. So apply, it apply, it applies what it hears. Okay, Philadelphia. Philadelphia is about one of the most more perfect churches in this. He only rebukes, he just says a few things. He says that the church, a good church, by identifying with Philadelphia, keeps God's word. A good church will keep God's word, and it will be front and center. It will be front and center, and it needs to be a front and center in your life. Every believer that walks into church, you aren't going there. You know, worship is nights, praise is night, but you're supposed to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, you're gonna you're gonna grow some by listening to worship, and the word, the lyrics, are gonna lead you to know Christ better. But what really is, this is the word of God. And in the former days, God spoke through the prophets. But in these last days, he speaks through his son. And where does his son? His son, is behold, the word of God was made flesh and he dwelt among us. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That Jesus is the word of God. If you think this Bible, these words on these pages are beautiful, you're actually saying, God, your son is beautiful. Because he is. Listen, in the former days, God spoke to the prophets. But in these last days, he speaks through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the word of God right here, the word of God. Amen is right. And he's telling the church of Philadelphia, he's proud of them because they do not deny the name of Jesus. A good church will hold the name of Jesus front and center. Like I said, with the Word of God. His name will be front and center. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about being successful and winning the, the, the lottery or, or becoming a successful engineer. It's all about Jesus. And you know what? God will bless you for your faithfulness to Him. That's a promise. You cannot outgive God, whether it be monetarily, whether it be time wise. Or any other way, you cannot outgive God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills also, and you probably don't even own a hill. So he's he's praising them because they hold God's word. In other words, they keep it, and they do not deny Jesus's name. Jesus said in Matthew ten thirty three, he said, "Whoever denies me, I will deny." Him before the Father. Listen, don't be ashamed in the name of Jesus. It's the power of God for salvation, says Romans. Says Romans. Paul's really writing to the Romans. What we learn from the church of Laodicea. The Laodicean church is the apostate church. It is the church where Jesus is on the outside of the church knocking at the door saying, let me in, and they're saying no. No, no, we're at a social club. We don't want you in here, Jesus. And if Jesus is outside the church, the Holy Spirit's outside the church, and God himself is outside the church. It's an apostate church. And the apostate church is going to be, you see it in Revelation, if you read Revelation. The apostate church, it's a social club. 
They're not talking about Jesus anymore. They don't give God glory. They, they play games. They play, they, they're very, they're off target. That's all I can say. And that's the Laodicean church. Here it is. Let me read it to you. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I would that you were hot or cold. Because you are lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. You know why? Because Jesus is outside the church. I advise to you to buy gold refined by fire, that you may become rich and white garments, and you may clothe yourself in that of the shame of your wickedness may not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. The church is supposed to be repentant, not bringing sin into the church. You bring the person in the church, you kick the sin out along with the devil that's behind it. Because your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers, against powers, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, and I will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, and also, as I also overcame and sat down on my father's throne. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So Jesus has some big words for this church. He wants to come in, but you have to let him in. You have to ask him in with your whole heart. That means Jesus is still seeking those lost apostate people. He's still seeking the lost that don't know him. Even in the church that has rejected him, he's standing at the door and knocks, saying, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't I don't care. All I want you to do is come as you are, but when you come as you are, you will not stay as you are. You come into this church, you repent, you come to know Jesus as your Savior, and you are a different person. And if you go out that back door and you are not different when you walk out into the world, what makes you think you even accepted Jesus with your true heart? He says, Put eye salve on. He's saying, you know what he's saying? He wants you to have spiritual illumination. Laodicea was noted for his eye salve. It was one of their, their great notes of that city. He said, put the eye salve on your house, eye salve, so you can see spiritually, because they were spiritually blind. And a lot of churches today are spiritually blind. They don't see Jesus. Jesus is in front and center. He's buried somewhere in the back like he's dead, but he's alive. He says, you know, if you do that, if you repent, I'll put on white linen. I'll put white linen on you. That is the, the marriage clothes. You know, that's, that's, that tells God. You aren't going to get into the, the kingdom of heaven without God's clothes, his righteousness. And his righteousness is in Christ, not in what you do. You will do good things after you're saved and know Jesus more than you have ever did whenever you didn't know him. And you'll do it by accident. You'll do it by accident and not by trying because it'll be your nature now. Christianity is a lifestyle. It is not, oh, if I feel like it, I'll do it. If I don't, no. He'll put white linen on you. And you can enter the marriage feast of the Lamb. And he's going to put eye salve on you so you can see spiritually and be spiritually illuminated. Jesus is outside this church, and he wants in. I pray that the churches today, including our church, never drifts off from Jesus front and center. But anyway, for those online, if Jesus is outside of your life He's knocking on the door of your heart, and he's saying, let me in. 
but he's not going to come barging through the door because God is a is a patient and he's not he's a humble being and he wants you to humble himself yourself and receive him into your heart and all you got to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved it doesn't say if you confess with your mouth and re- and and ask with your your intelligence your intelligence don't count listen your intelligence is like is I uh, can't get compared to God. God's ways are not your ways, and your ways are not God's ways. Or His ways are so much higher than your way. When you go outside tonight and you look at the moon in the sky, know that God put that there, and it floats on nothing. And believe me, your intelligence can't stand a lick just to that point alone. You need to receive Him, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you need to believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, and you will be saved your heart and you don't need me to pray a prayer you pray it with all your heart just tell God repent like he told the seven churches he told five of them to repent you need to repent of your sins turn around and go in the opposite direction of the world the opposite way of you are where you're heading now and turn back to God and walk towards him and get your yourself to church on Sunday you can tune in right here at 10 a.m. FreedomChurchPB.org. Bring your Bible and begin reading tonight. Starting the Gospel of John, you will find out who Jesus is right off the bat in that first chapter. So do it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful is Jesus. And we come to you in his name. We pray that his name never leaves our heart or our church. We pray that you would be glorified in this church and all the churches that preach your name. And we will all begin to grow in the knowledge and the grace of you, the living God. And that we, the church of Christ, will be holy, holy, holy as you are holy. Not only in our actions, but our acceptance of you into our own hearts to do your will and not our own. And to you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everyone. I love you all in Jesus Christ. Bye-bye.